Welcome to the Cultured Magazine podcast, Points of View, bringing you intimate interviews with creative leaders reflecting on their personal journeys and their visions for the future. I'm your host, Sienna Fiquette. In today's episode, I speak to artist and musician Kelsey Liu. We get into their creative process, connection to nature, performance rituals, and what drives their musical practice. Thank you so much, Lou, for joining me for this conversation. I would love to just hear about the inner workings of constructing this performance, an opera, a celebration of spring um, that you performed at the shed in April. So if you could just tell me a little bit about constructing that experience and what it was like to perform it in a really intimate setting because of COVID restrictions and, and whatnot. Yeah. You know, it's funny that it, it was... I mean, time is so irrelative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a test. Where do I even start with this is a test? I feel like it was, it, it all felt very much like a dream uh, scape. Like it, it, it came about by the shed asking me if I would perform for a series of concerts they were doing as an opening to a return to concerts to people attending live shows again. And mine was going to be the first. And I didn't think about that Mm. until someone pointed out to me, (laughs) Oh, no big deal. You're going to be the first person that anybody, you know, that people go and see a live concert and in over a year. And I was like, (laughs) no question. (laughs) cool um (laughs) and they they like helped me become aware of that after I had decided to write an opera yeah in a half weeks right right (laughs) and I was like oh right okay um it really came about it was very in instinctual for sort of reflect reflective is that a word like a reflective decision um a reflective decision to do an opera instead of performing just by myself which is how you know it has often been and anytime that I perform at the shed before which I performed for their opening and it's been solo Mm -hmm. and in recognizing how much has changed personally and globally yeah I couldn't fathom returning in the same way and I wanted it to be a shared experience as well I feel like um as well as so many people of learning learning about themselves more maybe going deeper into facing things about themselves right yeah the past year and healing or dealing or not dealing but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I definitely feel like I had done a lot of growing and moving out of uh, a certain way of outlook when it came to music and my existence within the industry itself and my reflection on how it was before the pandemic on how 
there was not a lot of stillness, not a lot of time mm-hmm. that I could have to myself because I was always in motion. I was always moving. And so I was not facing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so when deciding to do an opera, I, when thinking about the repertoire, I wanted to reflect and go back to songs that already exist. Yeah. And to rework them and to dissect them and to have new memories with it. Because like Church, for example, was an album that was really um, reflecting on a lot of pain in my life, in my experience of life. And after I put that record out, I never listened to it again. I would perform it, but I never listened to it. Wow. The work that I've done specifically around healing in relationships and with myself, that album in particular, when I was working on the opera, that was the first time that I listened back to those songs. Yeah. Really listened back. Yeah. Because I couldn't, because it was too, it was too painful when I performed them, it was different because there was an exchange happening between myself and the audience. Right. And there was a release. But then sitting and like listening to them, I was just like, no, I can't. I don't want to do that. So being able to sit and listen and over and over again and then reimagine them with other people. Liar, for example, breaking that apart and injecting a reminder for myself of what has helped me cope with that pain and speaking on that, but also having several voices speak on that, mm-hmm. which represented the many layers of self, of myself, Yeah. but also allowing that channel to flow through someone else. Um, classical music is so rigid in its um, in its formula, and oftentimes classical musicians rarely get an opportunity to free themselves outside of those binds. Right. And one of my favorite experiences of performing with other classical musicians was to instruct, like, give instructions to let go. And to take their eyes off of the page and to really feel like they can f- be free and that the notes aren't, aren't there to bind them. They're just a suggestion. Right, right. And I don't know, it was a really, it was a really beautiful experience. The actual performance itself, though, was, it was bizarre. Like the first... The first night, which was, we had a dress rehearsal and I definitely left myself for a second. Like I, I think it was like maybe on the third song or something. I just, I opened my eyes because I usually play with my eyes closed and I opened my eyes and I looked out and then I was like, oh, there are people here. (laughs) I'm here. I'm on this stage 
and people are so spread out. Right. <laughs> masks on, I can't see their faces. Right. And Reactions. I'm, too. Right. Yeah. And I'm singing. Why am I singing? Like it, it was like, I was like having this kind of existential crisis of what's going on. <laughs> Why are we all here? <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was really strange. Mm. Um, but I think like for, for everyone, we had not, we had like one full day of rehearsal. Before performing? Before performing. That's crazy. And, and going in knowing that I was terrified, but then I was also really excited because that's part of what I wanted um, the experience to be about. I wanted um, things to sort of like, you know, spontaneously happen or where we're sort of improvising our way through bumbles and fumbles and it not being something of perfection. Right. Not being right. Polished. And I wanted that to be a part of the, part of the experience. But I do want to say that um, just about the opera and why I wanted to do an opera is because, well, you know, an opera can be so many things. It has to be classical. It doesn't mm. have to be classical in the sense of like, I guess the, what generally people see as being operas. Operas can be such a range of things, but it's always riddled in emotion and drama mm. and we love dramatics we love and dramatics we love dramatics we love theater we love <laughs> you know i mean it's been a dramatic ass time yeah and i just i wanted to create a space for that for myself to feel that for other people to feel that yeah just like invite that back in. Yeah. Yeah. To, to mourn things that once were to allow a place for reset. And mm-hmm. so the opening was so important for me to not just hop on stage and start singing, but to enter the space and give a lot of time for each performer to have their moment coming out to give everyone time Mm. and it it felt like it felt like that it gave it room for that also of this whole I don't know this whole like dialogue of the performer is the main performer is really the only one that really matters and then everyone else is just kind of there right yeah 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 really wanting to break that I don't like before we started rehearsal we all sat around in a circle and then we all went around and talked about our own personal experiences within the past year. And that was also like one of my favorite parts of the whole experience was just hearing everyone, all of us talking about that, all of us sharing that space together and getting into it. And I'm, excited to do it again and in a completely different way yeah it's something that i wanted i wanted it to be left open to just continue to evolve and grow Mm. is there going to be other iterations of this project 
or like in some sense yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there is I'm gonna take it in different parts of the world incredible and, yeah and I I want to in well ideally I would I would love to take this around the world but what I really want to do is spend time in the place that it's going to be performed in spend a significant amount of time to write new material wherever it is that I'm in Mm. a moving a moving ever-evolving opera I love that the mobile opera that like brings the energy with it to each city that it goes to. And wow. Yeah. That sounds incredible. You know what? One Like, so I saw the, the, the performance at the shed and I just remember towards the end, you come out in this like amazing floral, floofy, like <laughs> spring embodiment, like head to toe. I like, we'll have to link a photo or something, but yeah, it seems like, uh, I mean, you so clearly express yourself through fashion, through experimentation. I want to, um, I would love to hear about how, you know, fashion yeah. came into the project. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, love. <laughs> yeah, I, for this, I, I really wanted to, interesting, usually, I feel like usually with shows or things, it's like, the fashion is what I think about almost first. <laughs> Just kind of like figure out, okay, what am I gonna wear <laughs> first before I even think about the music? I kind of not just that it's also it's a it co they coexist for me it's my way of expression and how I'm going to perform how I'm going to embody what I'm saying or what what I'm feeling it also moves through what I'm wearing and so it is a part of it but this time I was definitely it was definitely on my mind through the process of creating the music but it wasn't at the forefront and then once it started getting closer and closer too I was like wait a second I need to figure this out and I think the way that it sort of formed into being and especially that last that last piece it was going from a place of mourning and just shedding off those layers of grief or pain and blossoming into growth and into rebirth and into coming from the ground out into the open and blooming like a flower and it was a perfect time because spring had just sprung (laughs) and I think for also the audience as well it's it's an interaction with with them and while you're going through that what that what they see is also what they're feeling and having a veil in the beginning and having it over my face is something that I've started I started experimenting with when I first started playing out in New York like in like 2013 or something 13 and I used to crochet 
these like knit knitted like but like with like really fat crochet needles and I would knit the pieces that I would like put over my head I remember I performed I like did this show at in the city and um, a friend of mine used to do these nights there and like a few people perform and then but um, I like found this video recently I was like on the plane and I was you know doing the whole plane ride shuffle through my photos like get delete stuff put stuff in albums do like that whole shuffle duffle and then I found this video of me playing the song time and this was like 2013 and I had that veil over my face and I was like wow my cello was definitely out of tune and I remember not ever like (laughs) tuning before I played I just like I would tune to whatever it was whatever a was and then I would just go from there. So it was in tune with itself. But yeah, I've always um, experimented with this veil. And I think it's going from being internal, from this place of internalizing and sort of having this, this guard in a way and then taking that off. And I think it brings about an attentiveness from the audience where of a certain kind of curiosity of what's underneath the veil. But it also, I think, gives a level of attentiveness. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I had the veil made very last minute. Simone Rasha came through. (laughs) And I definitely took a leap and I was just like, reached out to Comb and I was like, hey, do you think I could? uh, And they were like, yeah, here's the thing. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's great. I love that when it's just seamless. Yeah. 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 For me, it's, it's really, it is really important because it's, it's so much of a, a part of it and putting the pieces together is really fun. Yeah. It was hectic like figuring out what their 12 musicians are gonna wear yeah <laughs> but got it together <laughs> becky becky helped me out help me yes. put it together help me keep me keep me sane on like, yes. <laughs> becky. yeah yeah and, incredible hmm. and so for those who do not know you are currently in london maybe i said that earlier but you're currently in london and you're working, you're working on a project. Is that, is that right? So, yeah, um, I am working on a project for 180 Strand. Mm, amazing. Yeah. They reached out to me a, a while ago about um, doing something with them. And it's kind of just been this, this ongoing, you know, like, yes, okay. And then thinking about, okay, what, what would I like to do? Spending six months just thinking. Mm-hmm. I, I have become more and more in tune to my snail spirit. <laughs> I just really um, have taken on that role of really taking my time. Really taking my time. Yeah. But I mean, if anything, 
I think you know, the past years allowed you actual time to to take. And I don't really want to jump back into the way that I guess that was normalized of just like <laughs> jumping so intensely and quickly from one thing to the other. Um, so yeah, since taking on this, the opera, I'm, I've now had to kind of put that on pause and then think about, okay, this now, and then I'll think about this then. But yeah, um, I'm going to do a show at 180 Strand and I'm really excited about it because it feels like I'm taking, I'm taking my practice into new forms and new, mm, it's expanding outside of just uh, me physically being there and performing it. Yeah. And I've always been more than just a performing musician or a songwriter and the collaboration and being involved in whether it's a collective or uh, just other forms of expressing oneself is is really in, important for me to be able to outstretch my limbs in that way or in those ways. Yeah. And I'm really excited about this show because it's allowing me to do that. And I'm going to Alaska. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, that sounds amazing. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, I'm going to go out to Alaska and visit my, I call her my art mom. <laughs> my art, like art angel, Sienna, um, is someone that was one of the founders of this art collective, how do you say Yemen African, that I was introduced to and invited to some years ago. And it really allowed me space to, to tune into the art of expression way more and than I'd ever really tapped into before. And not only that, but also with artists of the African diaspora, so many. And so having that dialogue and that connection and that community that I'd never had before. Mm -hmm. And it was just really, um, it was really special and important. And she lives out there. And so um, I haven't seen her in years. So I'm going to go visit her. Also visit the glaciers. Mm, yeah. And the first time that I ever went out there, um, it was just life changing, I think, for me to see the vastness of nature, but also the glaciers themselves. And then to go back two years later and see the effects of global warming and how much the ice had melted, the effects of, um, yeah, things changing and how sad it was and, and still is. But experimenting with capturing that through sound, capturing that energy through sound, mm -hmm. um, and how that, yeah, affects us, all of us. Yeah. And... Yeah, so playing with the womb space, opening up more of hydroharmonia. Yeah. Hydroharmonia has been evolving underground <laughs> um, a bit. You know, it started as this 
emergency meditation uh, series, like over the, the sort of beginning of the pandemic right. when I was um, doing a residency in the Cayman Islands. And, and so, yeah, I've been like working on creating a, a world for that and expanding on it so that that'll be a part of the show and creating a womb space and yeah just spaces spaces for healing yeah spaces for, for dealing dealing and healing healing yeah. and dealing <laughs> and expressing and yeah i love that i yeah i feel like nature is such like a central theme or such like a powerful tool for you as an artist um, and your sound. I'm so curious. I love to ask artists how they would describe their own sound. I mean, like genres are kind of bullshit and like heart, like how do you classify yourself into one thing? But, you know, in your own words as traditional or not, how would you describe your sound? How would I describe my sound? Hmm. I would describe my sound as <laughs> yeah. It could even be like a feeling. It could be like as abstract mm-hmm. as you want to take it. Mm. <laughs> it's a hard question. I do- oh yeah. I would describe my sound as inconsistent, mm-hmm. but consistent in a way of feeling deeply and reaching beyond surface um existing within abstraction but the clarity of warmth and intention that's beautiful that's beautiful i like i wish there was a way for me to just keyword search that (laughs) (laughs) everything that is that where's the pandora for that (laughs) my sound is also just it's sound yeah it's sound (laughs) what my sound is it is sound it's sound (laughs) sound sound my sound is sound sound (laughs) i love this (laughs) (laughs) we're so silly (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, okay okay this is a good one um tell me about your performance rituals what are the things you do to prepare yourself for either touring or you know the variety of performances and the variety of audiences that you may encounter performance rituals Mm, performance rituals i mean i think those can change i only thing that's really consistent is making sure that there's uh, there are certain scents that I like to have around certain incense, mm. um, and I'd say that's that's the biggest sort of ritual is having is having certain smells, yeah, come around and be around, yeah, um, aromatherapy, aromatherapy, <laughs> yeah aromatherapy and listening to different drone sounds um really helps but yeah i don't know i mean it's it's i feel like it changes for me i don't i feel like i romanticize about 
having a a set ritual every time. Yeah. Like I'm like, mm, that sounds really nice. Like mm-hmm. I do this this way, like within in five minutes I do this, but <laughs> I feel like my ritual is is in chaos a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um a little bit of chaos with a spiked tea. Yeah. <laughs> I also love this too, because I know that you've been doing all these like flower essence um, workshops, like working with plants. So I feel like that just so makes sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, well, there's gotta be flowers around. So mm-hmm. yeah. In of itself. Um, but I think that now incorporating that in will be a new ritual mm-hmm. sure yeah and I think that's also too why it it doesn't stay the same because I'm always learning new things things that find me comfort no but that no I know I I followed what you're saying it didn't sound off until you were I like I know yeah. until I said it but <laughs> interesting okay <laughs> okay um <laughs> Yeah. Mm. I think that I'm always I'm finding new I'm finding new tools to to widen my rituals. Yeah. And I think it's also my rituals always changing because because of I can get bored easily. My Gemini's and Venus, I'm just like I I can get bored easily and I need some like I'm like I need a little switch up sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, give me this, give me this. And then now I wanted this. And now this is my ritual. I'm into doing this. And I'm like into doing that. And so it's a switch up, but definitely um, I think incorporating, yeah, my flower essences is definitely a ritual. Like before I, when I start my day and I go into meditation and I take some essence ask it what it's trying to tell me um, what I need to know for my day. If I'm going into, yeah, into a practice specifically, like I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. A key part of, of my daily ritual right now, because it definitely brings me closer to the thing that I know is a driving force for my output and my input. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what, what are your biggest sources of inspiration right now? Or perhaps even like, who are your um, dream collaborators to work with this year? What has oh. got you excited? Oh, I mean, my dream collaborator to work with would definitely be Beverly Glenn Copeland. Oh, yes. Yes. And um, I want to collaborate with more friends mm-hmm. being here in London. I have a really beautiful musical network of, of folks. And I often find myself just isolating myself a lot. Um, I like to isolate. Um, and I find, I find freedom there. Mm, maybe freedom is, hmm. But I'd like to reach outside of that and connect more with the people that are around. So I think, yeah, my dream collaborations are with 
France, yeah. <laughs> but also specifically Beverly Glenn Copeland. <laughs> <laughs> <Our> future friends. <laughs> yeah. I also too, I love, like obviously during this time, we are a little more insular using the internet as a tool, social media, whatever. Um, I love the way that you interact with your fans. I also love the Kelsey Lou fan. I remember <laughs> you, you posted this story and it was like all of these TikTokers who were using, you know, your tracks and like doing various things. Like, I just like, I love the span of... I love fans. I really do. There because it is. It's a wide. I like it's a pretty like fun spectrum. Yeah. Um and wide. Yeah, wide spectrum of of people, and each one is like feels so uniquely them. Like they're very them, and whatever it is that is them and is their essence, they're like fully. That is what they're doing and what they are feeling themselves. And I love that so much. It's so inspiring for me. Like I, I find inspiration from my fans. Yeah. I can, I mean that definitely, I can see that. Yeah. I love yeah. that. My fans are cute. <laughs> the fans are cute. The fans are cute. <laughs> I love it. Um, Okay, so I know you're from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. North, Carolina North Carolina. Where specifically? Specifically Charlotte. Charlotte, right. Yeah, yeah, Charlotte. And then uh, I lived in Winston-Salem for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, stayed in the South for a bit until yeah. moving out North. Yeah. Well, what was it like growing up in the South? How did that influence your your artistry what you were thinking seeing um I've never been to North Carolina um only South Carolina but yeah yeah I mean I think that it affected my pace mm. slow pace <laughs> slow pace slow and syrupy <laughs> slow and syrupy <laughs> and just you know like for the most part kind if you say hey you say hey Yes, ma'am. You know, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ma'ams going around and like, <laughs> funny. Um, greenery. I think that it, it accounts to my, to my love of nature mm-hmm. um, because it was around a lot and the access was just, was there mm-hmm. for me. And I think that, I think those things stuck with me and I fantasize about going back, like living in North Carolina again. I've always wanted to live in the mountains of North mm-hmm. Carolina, um, Asheville, because I think it's specifically Asheville because um, it's maybe one of the more, not maybe it's one of the more liberal places in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of really cute things happening. I'm actually going back um, at the beginning of August um, because my friend Silver is. Yeah. Yeah. Our friend Silver. And yeah, opening up their Philippines restaurant. Mm. So so happy for them. Um, So that'll be really exciting because 
it'll be my first time I feel experiencing a queer North Carolina. Right. And being openly queer in North Carolina. And I haven't had that experience like experience yet with like other queer like-minded folk yeah like and I'm really excited I'm like I'm like getting emotional thinking about it because um I never saw that for me you know growing up I never saw I never knew I never knew that that would be a possibility of having that kind of relationship with a place that I call home yeah. and that I have roots too. So it's exciting. Yeah. yeah. That sounds so special to like revisit, be in new, held in new community and just like remix it. And like, that's going to be really special. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I only have two more questions. Uh, the first one is, could you tell me about your NTS show I, how do you, is it pot, pteropods? What's a pteropod? Pteropods. Pteropods are little sea angels. Ooh. They're deep water sea angels. And the first time I saw a pteropod, I think because I was looking up, I was looking up sea snails and like sea slugs, <laughs> like trying find more snails <laughs> deep water sea snails and then pteropods came up and they're um yeah um they're just be- they're beautiful and they have this luminescence about them mm. and this freedom of of movement and space and they're like when ever i've seen footage of them they're just like this light within this black void um of mystery and they themselves are mysterious i mean they exist within mm, the part of the sea that we don't get to access right deep sea Um, deep sea there's so much mystery there although i like saw this tiktok the other day it was like it was like a conspiracy tiktok (laughs) They're keeping the deep sea from us. Actually, they know what's down there. It's a portal. And I was like, "Ah!" I love it. Let's get Ah! another (laughs) sea conspiracy. Yes, love that. Um, uh, But yeah, I don't know. They hold a lot of mystery. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of freedom in there, and Mm. I guess I. I named it that way because I just really loved them. And um, and for my show, it's just always, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a mixed bunch of sounds. Yeah. It's always such a range of, yeah, the music you choose to play. I love it. It's like a a journey. Yeah. (laughs) I think one of my, I was like, sometimes I, I love, I love when I put it together and I get like so excited about something that I've done and I'm like, yeah, you did it. <laughs> yeah. Like this last one that I found this, um, I found this incredible fucking genius ASMR video that was quotes Nicki Minaj. I said, <laughs> it was like 
things Nicki Minaj has said. Genius. ASMR. And it's just incredible. So good. <laughs> to have that laying over mixed in with some other things. So yeah, it's just, it's really fun. And I like asking other people to, to guest on it too. Oh, nice. <laughs> how they've grown and evolved. Yeah. Independent radio. Like, yeah. it's just so good. It's so brilliantly curated. Yeah. <laughs> I love like dropping in little secret, like things I'm working on or like, yeah. And then for the track list, I'm like, it's usually something referencing snail. I'll be like, snail 69 <laughs> artists and then it would be like anonymous or like, <laughs> wait that's so funny I love <laughs> yeah I used to do that when I was on Columbia because I'd be like I'm not trying to get I'm not trying to have them like say anything or yo <laughs> you can't put that song or whatever yeah that's kind of genius genius way to get let that. me live let me live <laughs> Love and love. <laughs> oh my god okay my last question is I always ask my guests to tell me a secret or something that you think people wouldn't know about you something fun to share <laughs> I was preparing for this question because I heard I knew I knew you <laughs> <laughs> okay um I really want to tell what the thing that I was, that I, ah, and now I can't remember. (laughs) Okay. I have one. So when I was in middle school, um, I used to work at a Raptor center or I volunteered at a Raptor center. Like dinosaurs? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, basically dinosaurs are, Dinosaurs were giant birds. But yeah. So a raptor center is um, a, uh, a rehabilitation center for birds of prey. Oh, fascinating. Hawks and different owls and eagles and vultures and all the little predatory birds. And um, I would go in every weekend, 7 a.m. to this trailer. And it was in the woods in North Carolina. Um, and I would walk to the refrigerator where there would be a clipboard with a chart on it that had my name and my inventory for the day. I take my red bucket, I look and I'd be like, okay, 10 half rats, four thirds of a rat, <gasps> eight mice. <laughs> open up the freezer or the refrigerator or both. I'd open up the freezer pull out the rats or the mice that needed to be chopped up in halves. And I would take my scissors and I would cut up the rats and the mice into halves and thirds. I have my buckets and I'd walk all around the trails with my clipboard with all of the, all of the birds I'd be feeding and go into their aviaries and place it on their bricks at the bottom of their, their aviaries. And Oh my God. Every weekend. And it brought me so much joy. <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> and I loved it. Let <laughs> cut you up this rat, darling, and serve it on your brick. <laughs> Wait, this is amazing. I did not know this about you. This is very much a secret. 
Yes, it's very much a secret. It's very much a secret. My wow. secret past, my secret past life, um, as a rat butcher, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so oh my god! Is- Kelsey Liu used to be a rat butcher. <laughs> That's kind of hard. Feeding the birds, feeding the birds. You know, just always feeding birds. Just like, <laughs> I've been feeding birds. I've been feeding birds since I was 10. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The measurements, too, is what gets me. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Halves and thirds. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't remember now the, the logic behind that. When it's instead of mice, it being like a third of a rat. Huh. Because of the size difference? I guess, but I didn't, I don't know. I'm like, wouldn't a third of a rat be the same size as a mouse? (laughs) Uh, I mean, those rats were really big. Damn. Yeah. And all I have were like, like scissors. Wow. They were scissors. So I just had to be like, snip. Yeah. I mean, in service of the birds. That's so, wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. I went back the last time I went home. I went, I went back to the Raptor Center and it just made me sad. Oh, interesting. It made me sad because so many of these birds are there because, you know, they've been mostly, most of them are there because they've been like hit by a car. Yeah. something that humans have done, you know? And, and I'm just like, it was just, it's just sad because it's like, they don't want to eat a mouse off of a brick at the yeah. bottom of a cage. Yeah. Like okay. that's not the life they're meant to be living. Mm-hmm. Really? Like, I don't know. It, it made me feel sad and it made me feel conflicted because while while they are, you know, they're living and they're, they're getting sustenance, whatever. They're like living in, you know, beautiful woods, whatever. They're like natural environment, but they're inside of a cage. Right. And yes, the aviary is big. Thank goodness. But then also it's just like, that's not, they're not meant to be in a cage. They're birds. They're meant to fly around, but people see them like, you know, hit them where they see them on the side of the road and they're like mangled. And so they think that what they're doing, the right thing that they're doing is by taking them to a center to keep them alive. Mm -hmm. But for whose benefit? So that they can stay in a cage. Right. But then I'm like, well, but then maybe it's good for kids. Like could kids can like go and see and like see these birds and see animals I think that it's important for kids to have interactions with animals that they wouldn't get to on a daily like you know day to day they wouldn't they wouldn't see these and so then they wouldn't think about nature or like nature outside of themselves and um why it would be important or like just facts about them and like maybe that will lead them to a passion in life dealing with I don't know you know I don't I'm like aspects yeah yeah, there are aspects to it, but then I'm also just like, is this really, is this rehab center something for whoever owns this to get a tax break? 
like what is the what are the real roots of these <laughs> i'm like what's really like there's a there's a sinister underbelly to this whole operation i don't know i don't know i don't know i i know that it was like a it was one of my favorite experiences as a like as a kid growing up and i think for me having something outside of the the religion that i was in it was a really important for me and also it was a time for me to be in nature which i loved and interacting with animals which i loved yeah i don't know i i when i went back i'm like i don't know if i'm actually okay with this how i feel about it yeah like coming back to it as an yeah. yeah i think that's okay though to have like that <clears throat> that like critical lens returning and seeing seeing it a little more bigger picture the impact i feel like that happens often <laughs> in a talk yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. well definitely fascinating i'm like wow i love that <laughs> i love that i know this this value this like <laughs> now you and whoever is I, <laughs> I love it well i want to honor your time and I think I have everything I need and I'm so excited to yeah to have had you as a guest my friend and so appreciate you Lou thanks for tuning in to the cultured magazine podcast points of view we look forward to bringing you exciting interviews with artists and their visions for the future every month Thank you to the podcast team for making this happen. To our editor, Randy Chapman, our sound engineer, Lars Probert, our theme music by Color Plus, and Cultured Magazine.